We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You are listening to KC Sports Network, the number one podcast network for today's Kansas City sports fans. With former players from your favorite teams, informed perspectives, and former insiders, this is the place for you. KC Sports Network is proudly presented by Emprise Bank, your partner in Possible. Well, welcome into another Three Mile Pod. I am John Kurtz. I'm joined, as always, by Cole Manbeck, former beat writer from the Manhattan Mercury, and Derek Young of K State Online. We are getting you set for K-State and Tulane today as the Wildcats play a tricky game, trap game, you might say, sandwiched in between the first game in 11 years with Mizzou and a primetime showdown on Fox with the Oklahoma Sooners coming up next week to start Big 12 play. And if you are headed out to Bill Snyder Family Stadium this weekend, make sure you bring your 360 Vodka or Ben Holiday Bottle and Bond Bourbon from Holiday Distillery Check it out, 2 o'clock kickoff, so you you got plenty of time, I feel like, to get a, a couple pops in you before you go into the game. Or if you're going to be chilling back, just watching at home, kicking back, watching some of the games the rest of the day on College Football too. obviously that is perfect as well. But Holiday Distillery has been a great supporter of the podcast. K-State people, check out that Ben Holiday bottle in Bond Bourbon or 360 Vodka. And make sure that uh, you rock the Charlie Hustle if you are going to the game or, or even just chilling back. If you're going to be in KC, make sure you rock the Charlie Hustle around town and uh, let people know. Guys, this game to me is is just about one thing. It's it's about focus. It's about whether or not K-State can refocus after a, a 40-12 to 12 win over Mizzou where there was a lot of emotion clearly for everybody. Um, even Deuce Vaughn, who was obviously very fired up and, and seemed to be fired up about the fact that they found that picture in the, the Missouri locker room of uh, don't let number 22 beat you. I mean, we don't even see – Deuce does not – give a lot of insight into emotion like that very often. And when Deuce is fired up about wanting to beat you and taking things personally, I think uh, it tells you where the team's head was at for that game. And you know, prime time against Oklahoma, I don't even need to tell you about the motivations there. But now you have this game against 2-0 Tulane, which has been a, a, a bull program basically under Willie Fritz outside of last year. Can you actually come in and make sure that you take care of what you need to do to set up a monster game against Oklahoma? Yeah, it's going to be difficult for Kansas State. It's clear that they expended a lot of emotional energy into last week's game, even if it was competitive for maybe five minutes. But it was definitely a lot of emotional energy expended. I think we saw more of that than ever from Felix Andy Yazama on the football field. Um, you alluded to Deuce Vaughn, Coach Kleiman even. Yeah. Um, seemed like he, he you know, had a little extra juice to this one too, and then it meant a little extra to him because of it. 
and countless other players, right? So a lot of emotional energy expended um, and probably a lot of joy, uh, even more than typical after the game. Uh, how long did that last? Well, maybe we'll find out on sat this Saturday as well. And it's hard not to be anxious just to get to the following week. I mean, just human nature, natural instincts. You just kind of want to get past the Tulane game so you can build the excitement for what the Big 12 slate's going to be, a potential uh, memorable season for Kansas State. And it gets the start in prime time on Fox. You get you know some of the best announcers, one of the best stadiums, right? I mean, everyone knows the Oklahoma Stadium. You're playing against a brand name, and, and, and you, know, you get the best time slot uh, on a national network. It's hard not to look ahead. This team is mature enough that they'll be able to handle it, I think, but a slow start wouldn't surprise me. It's about taking care of business for Kansas State and coming ready to play, and I would not be surprised at a slow start either, D.Y., uh, just given the circumstances. I'm sure the K-State coaching staff is reminding that the players about the game in Norman last year when Tulane went down there and had the football with a couple minutes left in play to, with a chance to win down five and only lost that game 40-35. to 35. And This is a respectable program. Willie Fritz is a respectable head coach. This is his seventh year there, and I think last year was really an outlier-type season. John, you mentioned they're typically a bowl team. They went to three consecutive bowls prior to last season. If you remember the circumstances of last year, hurricane. yeah, the hurricane. Tulane spent a month, the first month of the season, living in Birmingham, Alabama, away from home. So I feel like that played a significant factor probably in that too intense season. They've got a lot of experience. They've got a lot of transfers that they brought in from power five institutions uh, on this team. And they have a veteran quarterback who's talented and veteran receivers. So they're going to present a test. They, they've definitely got some talent on this team. So there, there's a reason that line's moving. Completely overhauled their offensive staff too. I, I read that they only kept the tight end coach from last year. So they, they made some big changes. Um, and yes, you're, you're right about the line. I mean, last week we were looking at the line and saying, all right, it starts out pretty high, like K-State minus nine, nine and a half. Obviously, Vegas thinks pretty highly of, of K-State's chances to win the game here. This one opened up as high as 20, but really 19 a lot of places, and now you're seeing them more like 14, 14 and a half. That's, that's a considerable amount of movement pretty fast, and Vegas you know, typically knows what they are doing, so not that that is gospel, but you know, people seem to think that Tulane is going to be pretty tricky in this game for K-State in a fairly low-scoring game looking at the, the over-under as well. Yeah, uh, I think this week, if you want to kind of look into the diagnostics of the line, I think Vegas still feels very highly on Kansas State or uh, the sports books. I guess we say Vegas, but I don't know. If it's, it's the sports books. They yeah, still you know, feel, whatever. Yeah. yeah, it still feels very highly on the Wildcats. They opened up as, you know, like you said, as high as 20 in many places. The ones that weren't, I think, are the betters, <laughs> really. I mean, that's a lot of money on one team to move the line almost an entire touchdown. So, uh, obviously, the sports books think more highly of Kansas State in this particular contest than um, the majority of the betters because all the money seems to be on Tulane for that to be that kind of movement. I think it probably um, is over-exaggerated now because so much money came in on, on Kansas State or on, on Tulane that uh, I would probably like to middle it somewhere. If, if you got Tulane plus 20 and then Kansas State minus 14, you probably can win both of those. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's a, that's I've been there before, D.Y., so have tried that on occasion. So 
Uh, look, when the, the season came out, we did our season prediction show. I thought this would probably be a 14 to 17 point game because it, it is kind of that sandwich game between Missouri and then Oklahoma. And now the, the circumstances of the Oklahoma game are even higher with it being a primetime kick. So, um, yeah, I, I think that spread is about right. I, I think 14 to 17 points. If Kansas State wins a game by that margin, I, I think you feel decent. And Tulane, I think, feels pretty good about themselves, too. Now, they, they've played nobody through the first two weeks of the season, but they've won by a combined 94 to 10 score. So, uh, you know, I think even though it's UMass and Alcorn State, they're going to come in with more confidence than they would have had it been game one, perhaps, after a 2-10 and 10 season last year. And, I, you know, I'll just throw this in, too. The fact that we got the news that it was going to be a primetime game against Oklahoma, I think as exciting as that is, like probably doesn't help here, right? Because if you know it's Oklahoma – Okay, that's one thing. K-State's played a lot of like 11 a.m. kicks there. But the fact that you know it's going to be a night game on Fox, national audience, chance to really bust out. I mean, it, we talk about like 2012 vibes. That game, open conference play at Oklahoma, night game, 7 o'clock. That had Gus Johnson on the call. It was like, and that set up the rest of the season. It's hard, it's hard for me not to have my mind going there. And so I can imagine for the players and everybody else it would be too. I would, yeah, I would be more concerned if this was a young team. But uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago how many veteran guys there are in this team. There's so many fifth and sixth year seniors. There's a lot of leadership. They have a good culture. I think they'll be locked in and those older guys will have everybody ready to go. So no Arkansas State. You're not predicting Arkansas State this week. No, I'm, I'm definitely not. <laughs> totally different situation as well. Okay, well, but, but. K-State's always lost when they try and do something with the uniforms, right? I was told we could never try anything different with the uniforms. And this week, we got word and pictures and video of new uniforms with the uh, the old, like, pennant Willie on the side of the helmet on one side. You got numbers on the other side, a white helmet, some white pants, a uh, pretty clean look that has been lauded by the football world. I mean, everybody was talking about it. Spencer Hall, Brent McMurphy, uh, Shane from CBS Sports, God, like every account that's out of Reddit college football is like every major college football account was tweeting about how awesome they were. So you got a, a bunch of free publicity. The kids and the, the players obviously are going to like it. Recruits notice it. You got everything you could possibly have wanted out of this rollout for the uniform. So kudos to K-State on that. They did an excellent, excellent job with it. You are going to have that crowd, though, that comes back and says, well, remember in 2019, you know, you try to switch it up with the uniforms three times and win 0-3 and there will be some that are that are paranoid about all this too. So I'm uh, just throwing that into the mix here, you know, trap game, and then you try and mix it up with the uniforms. You, you can find people who would make the argument, I'm sure, like, oh, I don't like any of this. Yeah, well, they're 0-1 all time against Tulane, and, and that game was 1988, and they did wear script cats. So. Well, look, no I mean, cats here. there's no script cats. This is not script cats. Okay. I, I, I don't even, it, it's not just some of the fan base paranoid. I think Chris Kleiman has been a bit paranoid by it and just right. didn't want to deal with it. I mean, it, from what our understanding is, there's been a little bit of superstition on, on that side of things with the alternate uniforms and maybe a little bit of unnecessary drama in 2019 that occurred when they, they introduced the alternate uniforms against West Virginia that created some headaches for the athletic department that really was no fault of their own, but, uh, we, we don't need to get into that. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's exciting. It's my favorite logo. And, John, to your point, it went viral. Um, I, I saw probably 10-plus Twitter accounts with over 200,000 followers each retweeting it. It's free publicity. Uh, they probably got millions of views and impressions on this. And it's just something, you know, like you, you don't overdo it. If, if you do it maybe two or three times a year, 
it becomes more hyped. Kansas State fans hype it up even more because it's not something, it's not a spectacle you're doing every single week like Oregon or some of these other schools where you're introducing a new uniform every week. It's more unique to Kansas State. So when they do it, it becomes bigger. And so I, I think in the future, moving forward, if they could just do this two, three times a year, it, it goes viral and it keeps them cool with recruits. It at least shows kids that you're willing to do some unique things um, that makes Kansas State more attractive when it comes to recruiting. I agree. I also like with the helmet that they uh, went with no stripe. I actually think that's almost makes it a little bit sharper. Well, I've seen some complaints about the gray face mask, though. How, how are we feeling about? And but like, I don't. I think they look awesome. I am not like overly critical, critique every little thing, uniform guy at all. It's just not my vibe. I mean, I'll tell you if I think it looks cool. I obviously have a huge affinity for all white uniforms, but I I don't get like obsessed over the little details. Um, I know I was just, you know, shout out to K-State Online on three. I know I was like reading the the thread there about it, D.Y., and I saw some that were like, oh, that great face mask. Like, come on. I was like, I, dude, I didn't it even is know. It's like, a little mask. bit. I, don't know. I wonder if it does look better if with a darker face mask. I am curious about that, but it still looks great. So. I, I just I don't look at the face mask. Like, I never looked at the face yeah. mask when I looked at the pictures. So, like, it feels like it's nitpicking. I also I wonder what it would look like with a purple face mask. I don't know, with the white helmet. Well, you care. better you better find some all black uniforms somewhere because Avery Johnson was tweeting about all this yesterday. By the way, he says he he says he wants the all black. He wants the blackout unis. And, well, uh, he's going to have to have a conversation. Not what Gene Taylor wants. That's not. I was going to say he's going to have to have a conversation with Gene Taylor. A little heart to heart there, I think. I'm sure Matt Campbell saw it and just called Avery. You say all black. I mean, that's our <laughs> new school color in Ames. That's exactly. I was like, uh oh, put him on transfer alert to Iowa State if the black uniforms are what really matters there. Uh, to be honest, um, uh, just my personal preference, I don't like all blacks. Not anymore anyway. I just think it's not as cool anymore. Like it became a fad at one point and now so many schools have done it. It's just overplayed. Same reason why I don't want the chrome. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, it, I am personally not a huge fan of the all black uniforms. I also, if they did it, I would just applaud the fact that they're doing it and trying to do something new and switching it up. And I, I would appreciate that fact. So I wouldn't hammer them for it, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan of them anymore these days, but the, isn't the point here. The point is that like Avery Johnson was excited about it and tweeting about it and being a part of this conversation. Right. I mean, he was, is it Mike Stanley that does all the, the uniform mock-ups and Avery was interacting with those tweets. Like, I think that kind of proves the point here as to, to why you do this. Yep. Uh, the final headline here is what's happening in Lincoln, Nebraska, which I can't remember if we touched on or talked about at all in the podcast mm -hmm. earlier this week. Uh, Scott Frost has been fired. Breaking news. He was not very good. Uh, it is actually, I heard this the other day, uh, October 6th was the last time Nebraska beat an FBS opponent. So it's been almost a year <laughs> since Nebraska has beaten an <laughs> FBS opponent. And I mean, they're probably going to lose this week to Oklahoma, you would think. So then that streak would go on uh, to basically where we're getting like a week away from a full calendar year since Nebraska's beaten an FBS opponent. I got one note on that too, because they just lost to Georgia Southern, which precipitated Scott Frost firing. Georgia Southern is an 11-point underdog this week against UAB. No oh boy. <laughs> no, no, I mean, UAB, fairly respectable program. But yes, fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it was not good. That was not good. I mean, I didn't even have... I've gotten to the point. I tweeted this and I'm serious. I was watching the end of the Georgia Southern game and I was like, it used to be I would take great joy in watching those Nebraska games happen. But I feel like I, one, I'm just, I have some fatigue with it. I'm just like, I'm, 
I've seen it a hundred times. I mean, over the last four years, I've seen this a hundred times. I know this movie front to back and it's getting kind of old. And I was literally just like, I don't know, even just piling on them even more feels a little, it's just lost some of its luster. I don't, it's like still making Nickelback jokes right now. Like, yeah, it was great, you know, 10, 15 years ago to make fun of Nickelback. Now it's just kind of like, all right, yeah, I mean, they're Nickelback. Like everybody kind of thinks they suck. We've decided that (laughs) Nebraska, it's like, yeah, I mean, they, they, they are terrible. Like a program, like they're, they're awful. And we've all kind of made every single joke. So I just, it was like, okay, of course they're going to fire him, but we've, we've gotten everything we can out of the Scott Frost content machine, basically at this point. So you, you've moved on to Notre Dame and Texas A&M and, and laughing at them. Yeah. I mean, look, well, I've got, I've got plenty of laughing to go around. I actually, just before I hopped on today, I saw on Twitter, somebody, I think it was Tom Chattel. Who's like a, you know, he's like a legend uh, it, around Nebraska, a guy that would cover the team forever. He wrote a book, I guess, when Frost came back in, in 2018. And the last page of the book was like a looking into the future, like these fake blurbs about what was happening. And there was one that was dateline like 2028 about Frost just wrapped up his third Big Ten championship. <laughs> and like somebody was at the podium talking about like, oh, you know, you see these schools from the SEC, but look at us. Like we can absolutely win a national championship. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it was just like, oh boy. So, I mean, yeah, I can still make fun of that. I can still very much make fun of that. Oh, that poor I, poor. I, I still very much enjoy watching them lose. I, I take great pride in that. Uh, the only thing I was torn on, John, was I didn't really want Scott Frost to get fired. I would love to watch them just – flame and mediocrity and below average football for years. So I was kind of hoping they would go like seven and five where they would be on the teetering brink of maybe bringing him back or not. But I don't even know if seven and five would have got him back, but yeah, it's, it's just funny because Kirk Herbstreit picked them to win the the big 10 West (laughs) on college game day and they're out of a football coach and game three. And I mean, I tweeted before when he made that prediction before they lost to Northwestern, I was mocking it. And then D.Y., D.Y. tried to come to defense and, you know, the schedule for Nebraska is so light. I mean, that, they, that, that justification still exists. It does. To be fair. Right. Buckeye on Buckeye. Nebraska hasn't beaten an FBS opponent in a year and D.Y.'s over here. Oh, you know, they'll take care of business. Sorry, just a little little Buckeye bias, D.Y. A little Buckeye bias. <laughs> I, I don't even think. Well, you typically be the last person to defend Kirk Herbstreit. But I would have thought when you're like toughest game is Iowa, you got a shot. Well, especially like, yeah, look, look at the way the rest of their division in the Big Ten looks right now. Like that should be. And this is why it's the whole point of this was talking about climbing on the Nebraska job. But this is why Nebraska's administration, Trev Alberts, whoever the hell talked him into bringing Frost back for another year, all, all the changes and the buyout, whatever terrible they've just wasted a season which would could have been a great momentum builder for a new coach right because the, yeah. the rest of their division is awful it would have been an easy year to get you back to seven and five eight and four with new momentum and new and now they've just peed this thing away i just i know, it, it's, I know it's a money grab what about those new offensive assistants that left where they were oh and mark whipple leaves pit after you know producing the the best receiver in the country last year and maybe the best quarterback, certainly close to it at least. And and he leaves to go to Nebraska to start one and two, see the head coach get fired and get thrown under the bus in the press conference after losing the first game in Ireland. Like what? And, I mean, not, and not be named the interim head yeah, coach. Yeah, I was going to say, not even yeah. named the interim head coach when he's the, the most experienced guy on the staff that you would think would be the shoe-in to be that guy. I, I'll throw a scenario out, and I know we'll jump to climbing on this job in a second, but uh, 
with that schedule, D.Y., and, and how light it is, what if Nebraska turns over a new leaf with Mickey Joseph and they, they go on a run here and the players rally around him and uh, hey, like, is there going to be a big push think, for him to be the coach? I think he's a candidate to be a co- the coach. I do. He pl- used to play at Nebraska, um, one of the best recruiters. Um, he's been known to be a, a killer recruiter in the Southeast, did so at LSU for many years. I think he played quarterback in Nebraska, I want to say. So, uh, look, he is, I think, not to be slept on as a candidate. I just – we were talking about the same program that, as I just mentioned, when they hired Scott Frost, wrote a book where the back appendix of it was them projecting that they've won three Big Ten championships and we're about to play for a national title. They also hired Mike Riley. They've got a big ego. I just – their fans think – the message boards think they're getting Urban Meyer, or if not Urban Meyer, maybe Dave Aranda. Matt Rule is like the only name I see thrown out there by them that seems like it could be plausible to me. Um, even, if, even if they were to get Urban Meyer, I could see this being the one time where he actually fails as a college head coach. Yeah, well, they're desperate enough to do it. I just don't – I don't know that Urban Meyer is going to want to come back to take that job, but who who knows – Either way, the point here is their ego is is so big. I just can't, you know, a lot of names have been thrown out, Chris Kleiman among them, that I think are very sensible. Like Matt Campbell, Chris Kleiman, Lance Leipold have all been mentioned by ESPN, The Athletic. I think um, all three would win too, to be and honest. And that, that's exactly it. Like that is the kind of coach that I think Nebraska needs and yep. they need to humble themselves and humble their expectation because – you know, I saw Shane Jariah from CBS Sports asked earlier this week, like, what kind of program should Nebraska have at this? Well, what should they aspire to? And I said, highest of hopes, I, Bo Pelini's program without the tirades. Win eight to nine games a year. Uh, it's going to change now because divisions are not going to be a thing. So it'll be tougher to just make, say, uh, make the Big Ten championship right. game because you can't just win the West. But like eight or nine games a year. Basically be like K-State, maybe a half step above K-State, but do it in the Big Ten. And I think those three coaches could all get you there. But Nebraska yeah. is still stuck in fantasy land where it's 2028, Dateline 2028. We've just won three straight Big Ten championships and are about to pummel Alabama for a national championship. Can't get out of their own way with the ego. So that's where, you know, Kleiman has been mentioned again by multiple people. Pat Forty, I listened to him on, on the Yahoo Sports College Football Podcast, and he was pretty at He was like, Climbing Leipold and Campbell, like those guys, that's where I would start. Um, I just don't – I don't worry about it too much from a K-State standpoint, first and foremost, because I don't think Nebraska would – they're going to look at that and be like, well, this guy's winning eight games a year at K-State. Like, what? why do we want that? We don't need that. We're Nebraska. Uh, so I really don't worry about it too much. It, setting aside what Climbing would think about it, I don't think Nebraska is going to come slumming around. And if I were a Kansas fan, I wouldn't be that worried about Leipold either um, because – Nebraska is going to go hire the Kansas coach who's been there just over a year. Like, I, I don't, I don't see that. A Kansas coach that has coached in Nebraska. Look, they would have to divert from everything that they have done in the last two decades. I get that. Um, but those would make sense for them. Those three come to mind. Uh, I told you guys in the text chat, I think Mark Stoops makes a ton of sense in Nebraska. Yeah, I agree. And uh, would be an ideal fit. Uh, to me, I think I would start there if I was Nebraska, if anything, just because I don't think you're going to get Dave Aranda. Um, it sounds like if he wanted to go, he could have gone to LSU. And if you're going to pass up LSU, I, I think you're going to pass up Nebraska, right? That's that's how I look at it with Dave Aranda. But going back to Chris Kleiman, because we probably should kind of focus in the conversation on him. 
Um, he was asked about it at, at the press conference by, you know, Tim Fitzgerald, a good power cat. And he said, Gene Taylor, you know, Gene's my guy. So he made it clear that, you know, didn't come out and say it, but it was definitely a very strong inference. As long as Gene Taylor is at Kansas State, Chris Kleiman's going to be the head coach of Kansas State. Well, here, let's 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 play the audio. Here's here's the audio of what Chris Kleiman had to say when he was asked uh, about being linked to the Nebraska opening. For starters, Scott Frost is a friend of mine. Um, I hate to see it uh, because uh, I just that's part of the profession. I don't know what's going on at, at Nebraska or what has gone on. I've talked to Scott a few times during his time there, but uh, um, I really like it here at Kansas State. I love our players, love our our guys, and. Um, pretty simple for me. I can just say one name, and that's Gene Taylor. Gene's my guy. Okay, so I felt like that was, I mean, maybe not just an outright like I will never take the job denial, but it's it's it was pretty strong. That was a, that was a pretty strong response to it. I think it. it's probably as strong as you're going to get from Chris Kleiman too. Remember when he was flirting yeah. with the Kansas State job as North Dakota State head coach? There was no nothing even similar to that. He was a very transparent guy. So if there's a you know, any peaking going around, I almost think he's almost going to be brutally honest. Well, the, the other part of it too, when we talk about Gene Taylor, Derek, I know, and Cole, you can speak to this too. I mean, the obviously that relationship is strong, but it's not just the relationship. It's like the, the freedom that accompanies that. When when you're that tight with the AD, it's allowed Kleiman to kind of fit this around what he really wants to do, which seemingly is just coach football. Yeah, his, his role is exactly what he gets to pick it to be like if he doesn't want to do some of the ancillary stuff around the program engagement opportunities, you know, I think he has kind of has the freedom and the Liberty to, to send someone like Van Malone or Taylor Brad instead um, at places like Nebraska. I don't think you have that luxury. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's a big part of it that he's got more freedom at Kansas state to do more of what he wants. And that really is to focus on coaching his guys you know, he doesn't want to get involved and engaged as much in some of those outside opportunities, not to say that he won't do it, but kind of similar to, to Bill Snyder in a sense, just very focused on he, he wants to win games and he wants to, to be around his players. So that's really his focus. And we've always I've always had the impression that as long as Gene Taylor was here as the AD, Chris Kleiman will be here. And I think that'll be the case. I don't think Kansas State fans have to sweat uh, losing Chris Kleiman. I think he he only wants, to put it lightly, he only wants to play coach. He also doesn't want to play fundraiser, politician. He'd rather the other people do that. I'd be more worried about Kirk Ferentz continuing to fart around with Brian Ferentz as his offensive coordinator and scoring four points a game. Like, I I don't (laughs) – that that job coming open would worry me a lot more than, than Nebraska would. I guess I would put it that way. Because you could probably, am I, am I off on that? Do you, do you feel the same way? Would you be more worried about that? Or are you still not worried about that at all? I, I'm not. I think it's a Gene Taylor thing. I, I think it's that. And I also think, I think Chris Kleiman maybe wants to coach four or five more years. Um, and that's just me speculating, but I don't know if he would want to go start over at a new job to coach. Yeah, him the start over part is probably important. And he's approaching. 60 this he probably feels like this is the last job and and he's got a recruiting class that he's worked hard to build coming in now i know next year is going to be a bit of a rebuilding year probably but you know they put a lot of effort into this 2023 recruiting class so for him to to leave that and then have to start over on the recruiting trail for a new class i just i don't see it yeah all right well we'll see what happens with the nebraska job i think there's a ton of intrigue about it because 
of so many Big 12. I mean, like half the Big 12 coaches have been linked there. I've seen message board posts from Nebraska, like people wanting Mike Gundy, which like, I don't know, that fit seems so off. I cannot imagine Mike Gundy. That'd be worse than Bo Pelini, man. Yeah, I don't, I don't, that one, that one's weird. If I, now the CBS Sports, Dennis Dodd reported, this was his report that he had multiple sources telling him that Matt Campbell is legitimately interested in the job. Um, that would seem to make a ton of sense. Like, I don't, if I were Nebraska and I were looking at the three coaches there, Leipold, Kleiman, Campbell, I, Campbell to me would be the one that would make, that I think would be like the, the surest, the surest, safest bet. Yes, obviously much younger. Um, and I think as much as I joke about him seven and five, I think he could be a nine and three coach at Nebraska for sure. Yeah, I, I can see that. But here's my thing with Matt Campbell and probably put a bow on this too. The fact that we always keep hearing, oh, I'm interested. He's interested in this. He's interested in that. At what point do we say he's just putting these out to just try to build up his folklore even more in age? Yeah. Well, and it's, it's worked. He's done a really good job with that. He floating his name for jobs and answering phone calls, like answering the call of TCU last year. Like I, he's done a really good job of elevating your jets. Yeah. Yeah. Surprised yeah. he hasn't gotten a multi-million dollar raise after their thrilling 10 to seven victory over the, the Hawkeyes. Hey, first win in six years over the, over oh, the arch rival. Dominant. It was a beauty. It was great. It was just a, it's exactly what uh, it's exactly what you know the Newt Rockneys of the world had in mind when they were. Uh, There's going to be an Iowa State pod that comes after us after this episode. Uh, we have invited the Iowa State guys to come on with us, and I've been met with silence. Uh, we're hoping if they do hear. Well, it, I thought it sounded shade. like you know, maybe before the Iowa State game. I did. I suggested it. I haven't heard back, so I, I'm sure they're busy. I'm hoping we we can get on with them. I'm not throwing shade. I, I would. It would be fun to do. So I hope Cyclone Fanatic, well, please don't kind of hear from them. Not throwing shade. You just tore down their big win over the arch rival last week. I Well, sorry. Um, sorry. I, look, I've been a little bit sidetracked by this Pat 40. Would, you rather, would you rather have Adrian Martinez or, or Hunter Deckers? Uh, for this year? Yeah. Uh, Adrian Martinez. Did you guys see Hunter Deckers floating uh, ball after ball out there? He had three or four interceptions. I mean, the guy doesn't look like he has the strongest arm. But uh, I don't know. I, he made some nice conversions on third down. I'd, I'd still take Adrian. You're just you're just trolling me into baiting Iowa State fans to where they're going to hear this. Someone is going to tip the, the Cyclone fanatic guys off, and they're going to go at us again. That's all. You, that's what you're doing. You, you think Cyclone fanatic still feels good about K State finishing seventh in the Big Twelve? Uh, I don't know. That they probably the have Iowa State. I believe so. Just yeah. Yeah, just checking in, you know, temperature well, gauge on that. Hey, hey, John, John, uh, Pat Forty, our, our pal, a Missouri grad, just came out with an article, uh, college football's most and least picturesque stadiums and has Bill Snyder Family Stadium as a dump. What? Yeah. So if UK State fans listening want to go at oh. Pat Forty, who's adult anyways, um, here's <laughs> what he has. This podcast has, is off the rails, man. What the he This has is it, not a Tulane preview. <laughs> he has it as a dump. Bill Snyder Family Stadium. It's in the Little Apple, which is a bad place to start. And the castle-like structure added onto one side only reinforces the fact that the rest of the stadium is quite ordinary. That sounds like a Mizzou fan that just lost to Kansas yeah, State. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Man, well, I, I really like listening to their podcast. Oh boy, that's, that's you like nice. listening to their. I I think Pat Forty's a 
Well, he's a well. Class. It's mainly mainly Dan Wetzel. I like Dan Wetzel. Yeah, and I like Dan Wetzel. It's too bad Forty's yeah. on with him. Uh, uh, Ross so. Dellinger's on now too, and he's he's pretty yep. good too. I like yep. Ross. Well, I just tweeted Forty asking him when was the last time he came to Manhattan. So the war is on. Let's invite him to the pod. We you should have Brett McMurphy on. We should. This yeah, is off the rails. Can we? Get- <laughs> yes. Okay. All right, Derek. Derek, you did an interview with Deuce Vaughn. Uh, <laughs> Derek talked to Deuce Vaughn. Again this week, you know, if there's one guy that can remain focused and get us on the rails, it is Deuce. So uh, here is Derek's conversation with uh, with the one and only Deuce Vaughn. Derek Young with the three mall conversation of the week again. Deuce Vaughn, a return guest, we had you a couple of weeks ago. Yes, uh, that was before the season started. How do you how do you feel after two weeks? A little sore, but that's football. Uh, I'm feeling good, uh, ready to go, motivated, uh, excited for this next game. I know when we talked, I said, we almost said, you know, how hard is it not to peak at Missouri when you guys are getting ready to play South Dakota? Kind of the same situation. How hard is it not to peak at Oklahoma with Tulane on the schedule? It's actually not hard at all. Uh, just the mere fact that we played two really, really good games as uh, offense and a defense and some weather conditions and the way that we played as a football team was really good. So uh, understanding that the next game on our on our, our list or on our schedule is the most important one, uh, understanding that the reason why we've been successful so far is the preparation and the work that we've put in throughout these past two weeks dating back to fall camp. It's one of the things as, as a program we kind of feel that we got we to gotta take it one step at a time, one day at a time. That's how we've been successful this far. Coach Kleiman kind of raved about you guys when we spoke to him earlier today and that he doesn't really have to remind you guys to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. Maybe in other teams in the past, you kind of got to put that in their ear, put that in their head, you know, and that you can't look ahead. Is the just the maturity level and leadership on this team just on another level right now that he's kind of just put confident to put it in your hands? Yes, sir. Um, 100%. I mean, it's funny because whenever I first got here, the culture that Coach Kleiman said he wanted to build, I've seen it being built. Uh, and, man, it's gotten to a point where we feel really good about it now. I mean, we have leaders in every single room uh, from quarterback to running back to tight end to uh, in the offensive line, the wide receiver group, and they kind of understand, everybody understands that this is the way that we do things and this is the way that we're going to be successful this year and for years to come. So uh, to have that blueprint uh, established and to say this is how we get things done, to do it every single day, it's really, really exciting. We can reflect a little bit to the Missouri game and, and really the story was having to kind of maneuver and operate through the delays and stuff like that. Uh, Coach Kleiman said it, it helps being the home team in those situations, probably because you have more at your resources at your disposal. But it probably that maturity kind of goes into it, too, because it didn't really look like you guys flinched at all. At all. Uh, it was one of those things where uh, we had talked about it the night before. There was going to be rain. That was probably going to be a little bit of lightning, but it's how we attack it, how we attack that adversity. And whoever does is going to win that football game. And it was one of those things in the captain's meeting that we had that Friday night. We kind of talked about it, and we understood that no matter what happens tomorrow, we have to stay on course. We have to stay uh, focused to what we have to do in the, the job at hand. That's winning that football game. So whenever things happen, we roll with the punches. I mean, we're inside having a full-on, uh, I guess, almost practice, uh, you you could say, inside the locker room, getting ready to go uh, for the game while we're in the 50th hour uh, delay. What was that celebration like after the Missouri game? I know it's, you know, the confines of the locker room a little bit, but it seemed like the team took a little bit more enjoyment out of beating the local the regional rival. Yes, sir. Just from the mere fact of, I mean, the guys on this football team that spoke to us throughout the week about their experience with the, uh, Missouri, the program, and, um, and their lack thereof as far as recruitment and things like that being overlooked and uh, just what the game meant to them. So to go out there and play for those guys and then to celebrate with those guys was one of the things that we, we held on to. 
uh, for that entire day because it's just the way that we won as well as as a team, uh, the way we played and never let up the entire game. We we understood that that was a big time win and it was going to help us roll into this next week. As a de- defense, is Tulane like so different from the first two teams you played? Is it kind of almost like a different game and a complete different plane or approach, or is there some things you can take from one game to the next? Definitely some things you take from one game to, to the next. Uh, man, it's a copycat league. Football's always copycat, so uh, they're going to be watching the film of our first two games just like we're watching them. They're going to pick up some things that maybe we didn't do too well, or maybe we did really well and try to eliminate those things and try to exploit those things. Same with us, and it's one of the things where uh, it's a new week, so you have to attack their new players, their uh, new scheme, uh, their new defensive coordinator from last week, uh, and things like that, just to take and everything into account to be successful on Saturday. And that's something that we have actually done really well throughout this week. And um, and we just can't let it uh, fall off. How much do you guys self-scout on a week-to-week basis to kind of, you know, maybe not make yourself as exposed, you know, multiple times? Quite a bit. Uh, As far as, I mean, me and myself with uh, Coach Anderson, we go back and watch things that I could have done better. Maybe what I did here, hey, next time you're trying to set this guy up, do this. And just taking everything into account so that, because you understand that it's a copycat league, they see something on film, they understand, hey, this guy's going to do this So at this point. So make sure that you're ready for it and to have a counter for it uh, whenever it comes down to it. Tulane's probably hasn't had to unload the clip just like you guys kind of been in two non-competitive football games where they won comfortably. How much does you take into consideration they probably haven't shown a lot and for the things that you haven't seen yet, how do you plan for that? So one of those things that uh, Coach Kleiman talks about, especially early in the season, is that whenever you go on the football field, the picture is going to change. Things are going to change. You're going to see something on film that's not going to be like that on Saturday. It's just the way that you adapt and the way that you overcome it. Uh, the best football team is going to be able to do that. And, of course, you have film from last year and things like that. They have the same defense coordinator uh, from last year. So a lot of his schemes and things like that from last year will carry over uh, to some things that they didn't run uh, early in this year. But uh, just like I said, adapt and overcoming the new looks, the new things. Whoever can do that best is going to win this football game. You guys haven't really broken out um, through the air. I think that's fair to say at this point, especially you. you. This is probably the least amount you've been utilized so far in the passing game, maybe besides the wheel route that got, caught, that got called back. How much are you itching a little bit to kind of been unleashed in that kind of facet? Man, I love the passing game, first and foremost. I love getting out there and running routes uh, to be able to uh, look at a coverage and be like, okay, this is what I have to do uh, compared to this look and things like that. So to get back into that and really open up our playbook as things go along. And, uh, and man, we, we have all our trust in Coach Klein. That's one of the things that we understand uh, with a wet ball game last week and uh, playing a South Dakota team that, uh, I mean, we got out uh, to a pretty handily uh, win. Uh, to kept a little vanilla the first week. We just understand that, man, whenever we're in practice, we're running these plays that uh, could transfer over to Saturday if everything goes well. We understand that, man, this, this is going to pop. And whenever it does, we're going to be uh, pretty versatile because of it. Yeah, and because of that, you haven't seen Adrian unleash it through the air yet, but it's, oh, I assume all the utmost confidence still that you guys will be able to do that when the time comes? 100%, because we've seen it in practice every single day. Uh, the way that he flings the football, man, you get to see it even that first drive, the way that he flicks the football down the field on the wheel route, the way that he flicks the football down the field. It's what we've seen all year uh, throughout from winter workouts up to this point uh, whenever he was healthy back then. But that's what, man, we're super excited about because we understand that we can get to it. And when we do, it's going to be a fun year. When we talk about you in the passing game, is it that other teams are kind of 
the, the first two that you played kind of took it away, or are you guys kind of keeping that in the back pocket this far? A little bit of both. Uh, you saw some things, that peeling DNs and things like that with a uh, linebacker, but of course, I mean, our running game was um, in quarterback run, uh, jet sweeps, and even inside zone, outside zone uh, power was really, really worked really well for us these past two games, and we rushed the ball really well because of it. And uh, it's kind of like a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it type of mentality. And it got us two big time wins. And now, like I said, adapt and overcome uh, to whatever happens on Saturday. We'll finish with a little bit of a funny note. Do you, do you have to remind DJ Giddens that, that it's not this easy to just get pop off a touchdown every five or six carries? Uh, not necessarily. He understands the ball. Uh, man, he's had some pretty good lanes to run through as far as uh, his uh, game goes. But, man, I mean, we see it in practice every single day, the type of player that he is. So I don't think uh, there's any, uh, I guess, questioning as far as it goes whenever it's time to run through some, some, some tackles that may be a little, a little bit uh, condensed. All right, that's Steve Spawn. I'm Derek Young. You're listening to the Three Mob Podcast. All right, we appreciate Deuce Vaughn taking time for us once again on the uh, the Three Mob Weekly Conversation. Uh, thank you, Derek, as well for for tracking that down. And like I said, it was a it was a safe bet that that was going to get us back on the rails, back on track here on the podcast. And uh, if you'd like to place a lot of safe bets, I know the place to do that. It's called DraftKings. People, the wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is officially live in Kansas just in time for football season. That means betting legally on same-game parlays, spreads, money lines, and more anytime and anywhere across the Sunflower State. To celebrate, DraftKings is giving new Kansas customers a can't-miss offer. Bet just $5 on anything and get $200 in free bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code KCSN to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. That's code KCSN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook. Gambling problem, getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21-plus, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility in terms at DraftKings.com slash Kansas on behalf of Boot Hill Resort and Casino. Take a deep breath. We feeling good? We feeling okay? This is where we typically move into the opponent preview part. So, you know, we got we to gotta lock in on our focus on Tulane. And this is how much of a uh, – I was going to say about to curse there. This is how much of a you-know-what we give about Tulane. We cared <laughs> enough to go get a guest to talk about them. Cole went out to get a guest. Uh, Couldn't do his own research. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's because, you know, Cole wanted to go beyond his typical research here and hear it from the, the mouth of somebody that actually lives it every single day. So, Cole – this shows how focused we actually are on Tulane and not looking forward to Oklahoma. Yeah, I, I recorded an interview with Jimmy Ordino, who um, co-hosts a podcast called Fear of the Wave, covers Tulane. He actually also is a co-founder of the Tulane NIL collective, Fear the Wave. Um, so, And he played on the 1998 Tulane football team that he informed me went undefeated. Remind me, I vaguely remembered that, but they went 12-0, and only undefeated team in Tulane school history. Um, they finished the year ranked seventh in the country and, and he brought a great perspective in previewing Tulane. We, we talked a little bit about 1998 as well. Um, just given Kansas state was also one of the, the unbeatens late in the year that year that we tried to forget. So hopefully K-State fans don't turn it off in the first couple of minutes as we rehash that. But, uh, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy gives great perspective on Tulane and, and what they bring to the table. And it, it certainly sounds like the green wave are probably on track to have a much better year and get back to the norm of getting to bowls. 
We're joined by Jimmy Ordino of the Fear the Wave cast that covers Tulane. Jimmy, first of all, we're grateful and thrilled to have you on with us. Appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to jump on. And, you know, before we really dive in to preview what Kansas State's going to see on Saturday against Tulane, yeah, I want to get your assessment of Willie Fritz, the job that he's done um, in New Orleans. This is year seven. He's 33 and 43, but took them to three consecutive bowls prior to last year when they went two and 10, which looks like more of an outlier type of year. So how would you grade the performance of Willie Fritz has done at Tulane to date and what the fan base thinks of him? Yeah, happy to do that. And thanks for having me. Um, look, I love Coach Fritz. Uh, I think I think a lot of him as a man and as a leader, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, the Bill Parcells line matters and you are what your record says and all that. And so I'm, I know 33 and 43 is not where he thought he would be after six years because he had won big everywhere he'd been. Um, but, you know, there was a big culture change that was necessary. I think he's accomplished that. When you look at a team that went two and 10 in the G5 last year, you would expect mass exodus in terms of transfer portal and things like that. And he really kind of held on to almost the entire core. We had one guy leave after graduating to go to Oklahoma, Jeffrey Johnson, um, and, and a few others that were smaller contributors. But, I mean, you know, you held, you held on to your core guys. And I think that's a, a testament to that culture. You mentioned the three straight bowls. Um, in Tulane's case, that's, that's sort of um, – a big deal, you know, I, I think, you know, for Kansas State fans, I'd say, you know, pre-Bill Snyder era, Kansas State is sort of the two-lane baseline over the years. Uh, I played in the late 90s, and we, we went undefeated in 98, um, but that was <coughs> a very much an outlier. Um, most of the time, Tulane has has been a two-win, three-win, four-win type team, and, um you know, he built expectations of winning. And so the three straight bowls, people had high hopes last year. You started off with a close loss to Oklahoma and then things kind of fell apart and for a number of reasons. Um, but Coach Fritz has shown a willingness to make changes when necessary. Uh, he turned over his, almost his entire offensive staff uh, this offseason, which is hard to do. There's a lot of lifelong friends and, you know, he's a guy who builds trust and, you know, had to terminate some relationships that probably were hard for him but he did it because he felt like he needed it for his program. Um, and so he's a guy, so, so I guess to encapsulate it, you know, he's a guy who's built a strong culture. He's, he's a good leader of young men and, and he's willing to make hard decisions. You would, you would hope that the wins are going to come. Um, and, and I think they will, they may not come Saturday, but you know, overall I do expect a pretty big bounce back season from him. Well, I think K-State fans will find it interesting. You played at Tulane in 1998. That was a, a very fond year for Kansas State as well. They were undefeated and number one in the country right. heading into the end of the heartbreak city. But uh, kind of tying the things together, um, Willie Fritz coached Michael Bishop. Who, I was about to say, I, I yeah. was going to share that trivia. But, yeah, he coached Matt Blinn, and that was his first turnaround job. You know, he, I think Blinn had won like four games before he arrived and the two years before he arrived, and they, I think they lost one. In two years, of course, having Michael Bishop as your quarterback <laughs> help matters. Uh, he's, he, he's my favorite player to ever play at Kansas State. Uh, mm -hmm. Wish the season would have ended differently, but, uh, you know, Tulane had a great year that year as well. So uh, that's a very interesting fact. I didn't realize you played on the 98 team at the Green Wave. So yeah. that's awesome. And I, I do have to confess that we were we, we were cheering against all the other undefeated. So you all – 
you guys all played on that championship Saturday, if you remember. And so when y'all lost, uh, I guess it was to A&M in the Big 12 at the time, um, you know, Mississippi State, I think, played Tennessee, but Tennessee won. But then UCLA had the had the makeup game from a yeah. hurricane against Miami, and Miami upset them. Yeah. And so two of the three other – the big school undefeateds went down. The Tennessee held on, and so we were one of two undefeateds. Uh, we were – we, we were glued to that uh, Miami game. Edger and James ran wild yeah. on UCLA and Cade McNown. So, yeah, no, that brings back memories of what that day was like. I wish I could forget the end of that day. because it was, <laughs> right. it was Everything went Kansas State's way until uh, they blew that 15-point lead. I'm sure Kansas State fans don't want to hear us rehash that. No, so we, no, uh, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. PTSD. <laughs> it's, I'm the one that brought it up. It's my fault. Uh, I probably should move on to a different topic though, where people are going to be turning us off because they're not going to want to go through the memories of, <laughs> of what that experience was like. You, you mentioned, you know, talking about last year, Jimmy, the, the two and 10 record, the OU game and Norman Tulane's got the ball down five with a chance to win that game. And then it felt like the season kind of went, that was a season opener. Do you think the way that game ended and the heartbreak of it, was that too hard for Tulane to overcome? Do you think that played a factor in the struggles last year after that start in that first game or was there? Anything yeah. That... Yeah. Partially, but I mean, you know, I, I think really what it was, was so that was early in the, you know, if you recall, the game was supposed to be in new Orleans hurricane Ida changed plans. And, and that was early in their stay in Birmingham. I mean, team stayed in Birmingham for a month um at the start of the season and you know it's OU nationally televised game etc everybody gets up for it the problem is what what comes next and and as things dragged on you're away from your training staff you're away from your home you're away from all these things um you know next week was Morgan State and they they beat them badly uh but then I think with Ole Miss I think going into the Ole Miss game Tulane as a team sort of felt like okay, we should have beaten Oklahoma. We didn't, okay. But, you know, if we're as good as we think we are, we can take out this Ole Miss team. And really, just things were bad from the jump in that game. You know, I mean, first of all, it was a three-hour rain delay. <laughs> and then and then when they finally got to play, and Ole Miss was probably the best ball they played all season was that night. And really kind of just were overwhelming in terms of their speed, their physicality, the whole thing. And I think that was sort of a reality check there so i i'd say that loss probably had a more a bigger lingering impact on Tulane than oklahoma did and that and i mean you were you know you're breaking in two new coordinators um the defense by all accounts which was really good in the second half of last season uh was really struggled mid early to mid-season after that old miss game i mean they just they got run all over by uap in a non-conference game and then ecu ran all over them I and we had beaten ecu several years in a row um just things were off um and as a number of factors injuries certainly played a part of it um Michael Pratt was playing through a lot of injuries you know three separate ones <laughs> he played but his backup quarterback was knocked out for the season in that Ole Miss game and so he kind of gutted it out and uh I, I really think that that was sort of it a lack of lack of identity in terms of the new coordinator is not a great fit on the offensive side and a sort of learning period that happened on the defensive side of the ball uh, that took some time to sort of get adjusted to. I think by the Cincinnati game midseason and on, you you saw a much better effort from the defensive game. The defensive team, probably up through the Memphis game at the closing game, they, they kind of gave up some to Austin and Ferguson and those guys that they wish they had back. But but I think they ended up 
the second ranked defense in terms of total defense and maybe even scoring defense in the conference in the second over that stretch of five games, you know, but they were last by a margin up to that point. Yep. Well, that's good. Good information. Let, let's touch base on this year's team now. Tulane's 2-0, and played UMass and Alcorn State. I know there's not a lot to take from those games, just like Kansas State with the South Dakota victory and then also the, the weather game against Missouri where K-State dominated the Tigers. But, you know, again, is it more about Missouri and how poorly they played or more about Kansas State? I think it's a combination of both. Yeah, this Tulane game, I think, has caught the eye of a lot of Kansas State fans just because, you know, you look at the betting line, started out around close to 20, dropped really quickly down to around 14 and a half, 15. Um, and it kind of has the feel, look, Tulane is a respectable program, kind of has the feel of a trap game. Fans were very excited about playing Missouri for the first time in 11 years since they left the Big 12. Oklahoma road game, primetime kick at 7 p.m. on Fox the next Saturday. <laughs> It's kind of that sandwich game scenario, and Tulane is a team that could could certainly come in. They just saw it last year when they went to Norman and what they almost did. Um, so curious for your perspective on what you think the ceiling of this year's team is, what you've seen so far um, from this roster. It, it looks like they've made some changes. I know they've got a new offensive coordinator in Jim Sabota, um, and looks like maybe they've shifted to more of an RPO, throwing the ball a little bit more. I'm just curious on the offensive side of the ball. Um, what you see there so far? Yeah, I've been. I've I've really liked what I've seen from Coach Sabota. And and by the way, all your points are tried. The sandwich game is is a big factor, I think, on that betting line. Um, it's it's more of a betting thing, by the way. I I, I always see that letdown uh, coming off of a big win, beating the breaks off of Missouri. I can see as a team letting down. I always was skeptical of that look ahead thing, but you know, be that as it may, I think that's what they're doing. But offensively, Coach Sabota uh, was the was Willie Fritz's replacement at Central Missouri as a head coach. Uh, and he was a sitting Division II head coach at that program, had a really good program there. And Coach Fritz brought him in to be the OC, um, brought the, I believe, as Wayne State head coach, um, Coach McMenamin, who was Coach Swoboda's OC at Central Missouri right before that. He's now the receiver coach. And they, they sort of simplified in some ways uh, the offense, Chip Long. Uh, he's a really smart guy, knows his ball or whatever. Was never a really good fit with our personnel, and it was, I, it was always my impression. Coach Long's way was sort of like, I know ball and I know plays, and y'all gonna run what I will run. It's all gonna be fine, and it really didn't work that way. I think Coach Voda's system is far more malleable in terms of, okay, you know, who are my playmakers? Let me let me find a way to put them in a position to succeed. Uh, I've been impressed again, you know, through two games against weak competition, though. So you don't really know how it's going to look against a, a team as good as K-State, um, who, by the way, in my mind, is probably better this year than Oklahoma was last year as, as, as a team, um, just because of the physicality that you bring to the table. And so what I don't know is Coach Boda's offense, a lot of outside zone. It's a lot of um, play action. Um good route concepts and so forth. I mean, finds ways to get those playmakers open, uh, get them in space. Uh, head, you know, we're headlined by Tajay Spears, probably our mo most talented skill guy, running back who only played about five snaps last game that kind of keep him fresh for this week, probably. Um, but, you know, can Michael Pratt look as impressive as he's looked these last two weeks? He's shown some growth, but can he look that impressive against a team that's really physical up front? 
can this new newly revamped offensive line give him the time to do what he needs to do? And, and you know, can those guys get open? I mean, case state four picks last week, you know, all of that sort of speaks to the much stiffer challenge that lies ahead. And, and we don't know. I mean, frankly, those two games don't tell us a whole bunch about whether they've arrived as an offense, but all signs thus far have been good. Yeah. Let's touch base on that offensive line a little bit, because in the past, the, the few handful of games that I've watched of Tulane the last couple of years, I've felt like I've watched Michael Pratt getting hit a lot um, mm-hmm. and banged up and limping around. And I felt bad for the kid because, you know, he was, seems like a warrior that was playing through a lot of pain and injuries. And, you know, when you look at the numbers, Last year, I think they were 106th in the country in sack rate allowed. And then in 2020, the pandemic season, uh, 10% sack rate, which was 116th in the country. Have they addressed that? Is the offensive line significantly better? Is it more about scheme change? I know they were a run-heavy scheme. Um, mm-hmm. You know, running, I, they went five, Willie Fritz's first five years, they were over 2,700 yards each of those seasons running the football is it more so now that they've maybe adapted to a different scheme and they're better at protecting the quarterback? What, what have you seen there and, and what do you expect? Because Kansas State's strength on defense is its ability to rush the passer. Yeah, I, well, you know, so Michael Pratt's first year, the COVID year, he was a true freshman quarterback. He, coach Hall, Will Hall, who's now the head coach of Southern Miss, was the offensive coordinator. He had a pretty productive offense. Um, still with a lot of the run principles that Coach Fritz had had in place before with his former coordinator, but brought in some a little bit more sophistication of the pass game. But he's a run guy. I mean, you know, I mean, Southern Miss was able to compete in some games last year without a quarterback. You remember they were running running backs and receivers and all the take snaps. God knows the run run football. But Michael was also a true freshman, kind of thrown to the wolves and 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 some of the sack rate issues that that year with Coach Halls probably had to do with his inexperience. Last year, there was a lot of just like I said, like sort of a lack of fit with um, what Coach Long was trying to do. I mean, Coach Long's best success came at Notre Dame, an offensive line factory. We don't have that. And I think there's a lot of five man protections, a lot of situations that left him vulnerable, not helping uh, guys, you know, a freshman on one side, a guy recovering from a patella tear on the other at tackle, not helping them with the elite speed rush. Um, some some guys that struggled a little bit in the middle. I mean, even a, a turned out to be a six-year starter, Corey Dublin played through a lot of injury last year. wasn't his best year, um, and so you sort of didn't. I don't think adjusted to the circumstances there well enough, and and so you were asking a lot from those five guys. You were asking them to do things that maybe they were not equipped to do. I, I think what we see thus far, again through these two games, because Boda is an effort to sort of make their lives easier with some of the play action slides and things like that, that they're doing and, and sort of recognizing that, you know, you do need to help at times uh, the offensive line, you know, it can't just be a five man protection, a lot of stuff. So you see some six, seven man protections and um, not that they needed it that much against those two teams. And that's why I'm really interested to see, but personnel wise, you return an all conference level center and sincere Hainsworth, uh, a third or fourth year starting left tackle, Joey Claybrook, who's moving a lot better. He looks healthy now. Uh, six, seven kid who's, who's, who's been beat with by speed before, but I mean, he's a veteran. He's seen it all and, and understands how to, you know, manage pass rush. He's, he's played against Ole Miss and Auburn and some of these other teams. Um, 
you know, but two transfer guards are in there now. Uh, Kanan Ray came over from Colorado. He was a part-time starter there. And then Prince Pines is really impressed so far. Prince uh, started a few games at Baylor, I believe, then ended up at Sam Houston State. He was a starter at Sam, Sam Houston and then came to Tulane. Really big guy. Moves pretty well for a big guy. Um, and then the right tackle is a young guy with some talent, but, you know, played through injury last year, played through inexperience. We're hoping to see a big leap for it from him, his uh, Rashad Green. And so this is the litmus test, man. You, Cole, you know, we, we're going to see uh, you're playing one of the best defensive lines in the country and uh, or, or at least defensive fronts in the country, I should say. Um, pass rush, a, a real plus, plus pass rush team. And I don't know if they're going to hold up or not, frankly. I mean, I hope they do. But but we're going to find out a lot about ourselves on Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Felix and Yudika Uzama, I'm sure Tulane. Knows all about him from watching the film. Pick Big 12 preseason defensive player of the year that uh, will often line up over the right tackle. They lined him up over the left tackle against Missouri quite a bit as well. So he'll certainly present a test for that offensive line. And then Eli Huggins on the interior. Kansas State's got some depth on the D-line, probably the most depth they've been up front in a little while. And certainly the defense has played really well to start the year. Yeah, the receiver room. I, I think I heard you mention, Jimmy, or maybe it was one of your your co-hosts on the Fear the Wave cast, that this is the deepest the wide receiver room has been in a long time. Who are some names that Kansas State fans need to look out for on in there? Maybe just speak to the strength of that room this season. Sure. Sure. And, and, and you know, everything's basically – it's all relative, right? So we're coming yeah. from a place, a place where we didn't have a lot of receiving talent probably since Darnell Mooney left campus. But um, – yeah, Deuce Watts is a returner who's a big body guy who has done some good things in the past. He's back. But the other returner um, who is really exciting, longtime guy, is, is Jaquan jo uh, Jackson, a local guy who really was banged up all last year and is healthy again. He's explosive. He's a plus. You know, he's sort of a preseason all-conference returner type last year. Had done a lot in the return game. Some things in the past game. He's sort of shown some flashes already this year that he's back to Jaquan is in Missouri last year ahead of his game last week real smart uh, receiver Chris Routes more speed than you think smooth guy gets open um, Shea is a, is a really good player but then uh, two transfers Lawrence Keys from Notre Dame and Dede McDougal from Missouri um, bring a lot uh, in terms of speed athleticism uh, Lawrence Keyes in particular seems to have been featured uh, trying to get the ball in his hands. He's done some really nice things. He's a local product, actually. And Day-Day was a high school teammate of Michael Pratt's. And both of them have sort of flashed some stuff. And there are some young guys, too. But those are sort of the primary guys. We did lose one guy to injury. And there's a pretty talented tight end in Tyreek James who's done some things in his career. Good pass catcher uh, who's also a threat in the pass game. Yeah, I noticed Tyreek James, 6'2", 245-pound senior entering his fifth year that's had over 1,000 yards in his career. So uh, definitely a guy to watch out for as well for the Kansas State defense. On the, the defensive side of the ball, obviously I, I enjoyed watching Patrick Johnson and, and Cam Sample a couple years ago. They're now both in the NFL, defensive ends, very talented pass rushers. Um, what's Tulane like defensively? Uh, past defense what, what are some of the strengths or what have you seen there I, again I know it's been Alcorn State and UMass everything is relative like you said but what do you anticipate that defense looking like this season 
The um, you know, we're led by the two guys in the middle, the two off-ball linebackers, and uh, Nick Anderson and Dorian Williams. Dorian, sort of an NFL sort of build guy, uh, sideline to sideline. Nick's a little short; that'll hurt him on the next level. But a great leader and a great player. I mean, he's got all the other tools that they would look for. He'll make a roster. He's that kind of guy. But you know, he's five, probably five eleven. But those two guys lead us. Now they will at times getting packages where they're rushing the quarterback for the, for the most part, though, they're off ball guys. Um, Darius Hodges was really disruptive last year at defense in or joker, I guess it's, it's basically a four, two, five front, although it's, it's played with a three down lineman and a joker. Um, uh, the uh, Darius led con- the AAC and tackles for loss last year. Um, and then there's some other guys there. We did suffer a big injury up front. Donna's free lose probably our, was our, our our most prototypical nose tackle one tech type run stopping type uh local guy towards acl in the last practice before the first game of the season that's a big loss a tcu transfer patrick jenkins is they expect big things for him he looked dominant in limited snaps last week and hopefully he'll make some plays but you know to me he's he and most of the other interior guys in my mind are more of your one gap sort of almost three tech types that you, you know, trying to penetrate, get up field, maybe not as much occupying the combo blocks and really kind of stunting your, your block scheme as much as Adonis would. So that's a concern on the back end, um, a veteran making Clark really his move back to more of a nickel role from free safety and has been a big playmaker so far this year. He seems to have matured as a player. He's grown, he's, he's gotten bigger and he just seems more explosive out there. Um, and, uh, you got Jaden Kennedy, who was, a you know, all freshman, all American freshman type, according to some publications last year at corner is a really good player. Uh, Larry Brooks is another good safety. Lummy Young, a transfer from Duke is a good safety. So there's some talent there on the front end, uh, a K state transfer. Lance Robinson has been good right. uh, so far. That's right. Um, yeah. And so you, you sort of in, so Lance is a starting corner the the, the, the group of five that start been really good they've gotten some good production out of dj douglas as well who's a former he was an alabama transfer um who rotates in um but sort of thin on the back end not that kansas state necessarily is looking to test your defensive backs in the pass game as much as maybe in the run game make sure they're fit and, and helping with the option um that that'll be a challenge but but i, I do have some concerns about our, our our ability up front to be as physical as necessary to take on your rushing attack. Yeah. Well, that's all good perspective. And it'll be interesting to watch what Kansas state tries to do in this game because they haven't really had an opportunity to get the passing game going. And we know, we know they want to tune things up before Oklahoma and big 12 play. And unfortunately they, they wanted to throw the ball more, but the weather didn't allow for that against Missouri the week before. And so they, they haven't shown a lot yet in the passing game. And as a result, people are, commenting about Adrian Martinez, the quarterback stat lines, not being overwhelmingly impressive, but I'll be curious. I, I think we might see Kansas state throw the ball a little bit more than usual um, in this game, just in the hopes to get things going. Now, if it's a really tight game, you know, they'll probably rely on that running game quite a bit and do spawn. So um, that'll be interesting. Well, Jimmy, again, I appreciate all the time. I'm going to put you on the spot here. Do you have a score prediction for me? <laughs> yeah and and you did you did warm as you know it's i think it's one of these harder head things you know i'll say heart 28 27 although my head probably says something like 
31-20 Kansas State. So I'll say 28-27 in my heart in favor of Tulane, but I'll give you the edge in, in my head. Uh, Jimmy, I'm I'm really hoping it's not 28-27 or I'm going to have a lot of heartburn on uh, – <laughs> I, I, I don't have a lot of interest in a one-point game, to be honest. I'm not ready for that no, quite you. yet. But, uh, I, you know, look, best of luck to Tulane. We'll be, uh, we'll be rooting for the green wave this season, you know. Um, hope they do well and, and have a successful year. What what do you have a, a record prediction for Tulane on the year? Again, I know it's hard. <laughs> you know, but. yeah, it's always hard to go through the schedule because things happen that you don't think and then things, you know, and, and vice versa. But um I, I looked at it, I do think eight, eight and fours the most likely reasonably optimistic result. I could certainly see a six or seven win season, but I'm hoping they get to eight. Um Nine would take a lot of work. That would take knocking off either you or Cincinnati or Houston and UCF and then also taking care of the rest with SMU and some other good teams. So in Memphis, you know, I mean, it, it, look, the American still has with those three teams still in for now as a it's a pretty rough slate. We don't get Navy. We don't get uh, Temple. Right. And so, I mean, it is what yeah. it is. And and, and while, while Houston and Cincinnati don't play each other, you know, but um so, so it's tough, but I think, you know, I, I do expect big things. So I'll say seven and five, but I'm, I'm hoping eight and four is in the cards and I'll wish for nine and three. Well, Hey, I hope Tulane goes 11 and one uh, with every win except Kansas state. All right. So sounds great. All right. Well, thanks again. That's Jimmy Ordino from the fear of the wave cast uh, providing perspective on the Kansas state Tulane game from the Tulane angle. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you, Cole. Appreciate being here. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website 
are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, we appreciate it uh, much. Many thanks to our guests. Many thanks to Cole for uh, tracking that one down to get the lowdown on Tulane. Whoa, D.Y., what? bring that back. Bring that back. You got a Tulane helmet? Yeah, they. I mean, they have nice uniforms too. I think we should. The uniform combo in this game is going to be pretty nuts. Well, we didn't even cover that angle in the uniform conversation, right? That's probably a part of it. K State didn't want to be outdone. Yeah, you know, Tulane. Tulane's always looking clean and fresh, man. For for There's real, Tulane's Tulane's uniforms are awesome. The best yeah, uniform yeah, they, the they they do have awesome uniforms. And D White, just so you know, I've got I've got a whole notebook here, of research on Tulane that I uh, prepared for. So if you wanted me to do another 10 minutes on the green wave, I certainly could, but I thought fans would enjoy hearing from uh, a guest. Well, you know, Cole, we, we have to just treat it like every other game. You know, you can't elevate an opponent um, and, and bring them, you know, too high, put them on a pedestal too much. We can't put Tulane on a pedestal. We'll just treat it like anything else. We did are like, you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever. We'll, we, we'll move on now. Okay. We got quick hitters. Uh, you know, we're, we're really working on these names. We've workshopped them very well through the first three weeks. <laughs> Uh, more likely today, I say today, I'm in power cat game day mode. More likely on Saturday, Adrian Martinez over 200 yards passing or Deuce Vaughn over 200 yards rushing. Adrian Martinez has 154 passing yards through two games. Deuce leads the Big 12 with 271 rushing yards. Which one's more likely, D.Y.? <laughs> I think, think that's a good question, John. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Hey. <laughs> I'll go Adrian, actually. I think – that they're going to see value in showing off the passing attack. And if you're Tulane, just like Missouri, you're going to do everything in your power to not let 22 beat you. Yeah, Tulane was 114th in pass efficiency defense last season, and I think K-State's going to make it a point of emphasis to come out and try to throw the football and establish the passing game, getting a rhythm in this ball game before heading into Big 12 play. Uh, so I lean toward the Adrian closer to 200 yards than Deuce, but here's one concern. We got to talk weather. I mean, they're forecasting right now, and we're recording this on Wednesday, forecasting 15 to 25 mile per hour winds on Saturday with gusts 20 to 30. So depending upon which way K-State is going, if the wind's out of the south or north, uh, it would obviously be out of the south. It's going to be a hot game. Um, I think that'll also dictate how much Kansas State throws the football because of that. But I still lean toward uh, Adrian. Full transparency, I think, even before Cole mentioned that, I think both are below 200. I, I would agree. I would tend to agree that both are below 200. I, At some point, I'm, I hear you, Cole, on the wind. But, like, I mean, at some point – can we not have an excuse and can we just have like a decent game through the air? Like, is that, I mean, does it have to be, you know, game flow against South Dakota or keeping things on the shelf for Missouri or, you know, like rain and now it's going to be wind. I, I don't I mean, I'm not I mean sure. last week was a monsoon. I, I get it, man. I get it. And receivers were dropping balls, not helping Adrian Martinez out at all. I do not put a ton of what happened last week on him. Uh, some of those drops were, were infuriating, but also understandable, I suppose, given the weather. I, I, I understand how we're here, but it's so, like at some point, Adrian Martinez is going to have to throw the ball for you to – you're going to go play in Norman in a week, and like I, there could be a freaking ice storm. You're probably going to have to go throw the ball to beat Oklahoma. All right, well, here's what's going to happen on Saturday, John. Kansas State's got the south wind at its back. 
the Wildcats are going to bust a couple 50-yard-plus passes. So they're going to get to that 200-yard mark because they're going to have some explosives in the passing game. I think Malik Knowles has one, and I think Sammy Wheeler busts <laughs> one. Maybe a seam route, D.Y. Maybe a seam route. <laughs> I don't, look, I don't – can we – when is the Malik Knowles game coming? How long have we talked about the hey. Malik Knowles game coming where he's going to pop for like 150 yards and two touchdowns? I, when is that game coming? It came against Bowling Green in 2019. You're, you're right. Yeah. And then, and then since then. Didn't come again. But I, I do think, um, you know, that is interesting about Malik Knowles because he will occasionally early in games have that pop play that goes 70 plus yards. And you're thinking, oh, he's going to have a huge game. And then, like the KU game in Lawrence last year, he has the, yeah, the seventy-plus yard touchdown. It's uh, funny you mention that because I, I, I think I just had like a subconscious memory because I looked at uh, KU underscore fan and and Drew and, and Grant Flanders in the in the press box after Malik had a pretty good first drive against Missouri, right? I'm like, and and then he had the touchdown on the first drive against. Uh, South Dakota, and then I remember, you know, the other ones that Cole mentioned over the years. He's a first drive guy. Like, he pops on that first drive and then kind of fades away. Uh, at Baylor, he had that uh, 75-yard jet sweep in 2020 that went for a touchdown, too, early in the game. So yeah. Texas and Austin, that Texas, was early, wasn't it? Texas, Texas yep. was the first drive. Yep. I mean, yeah. yep. First drive they, guy. They, well, they make it a point to, to try and get him involved and get him active. I mean, I, they're trying. Well, bold prediction. 100-yard game for Malik this weekend. I think he gets okay. 100 yards. Lead okay. pipe lock. I love him. Love Malik to death. I love the playmaking ability, but it's just – I feel like he kind of is what he is at this point. You, you get the ball in his hands in space, really dynamic. But as a receiver, uh, we're, we're just – we're still waiting on it, man. We're still waiting on it. Okay. Uh, who has more wins at the end of the season, Kansas or Missouri? Kansas. No hesitation uh, from BY. I'm surprised. I think because they're 2-0 and already – they won a conference game last year, so they're going to at least win one or two conference games. If they get to four, I know this sounds crazy. If they get to four, they got a chance to have more wins than Missouri, uh, at least from the Missouri I saw last week. I'm sure Tucker, wants, our producer, wants to come and punch you in the face right now, D.Y., for that statement. Uh, is is <laughs> I, it wrong? Uh, well, I mean, here's, here's, they've got Ab Mizzou's got Abilene Christian, but then at Auburn, home against Georgia, at Florida – uh, that's a rough stretch. Then they we'll do get Vanderbilt at South Carolina, but then they're uh, home against Kentucky in the top ten. They're at Tennessee. Uh, they've got that SEC thing tucked away. New Mexico State late in the year, and then they got to play Arkansas. <laughs> I mean, I've well, they, they can get to four if they beat Abilene Christian, New Mexico State, and Vanderbilt. That's four. South Carolina is not a guarantee. Where's the South Carolina game at, John? That is on the road. Oh. <laughs> I was going to rely on that to get to five. Um, <laughs> uh, they're probably going to push. They, it may be a push. At it might be a push because I think Kansas gets four, the, five if it falls right for him, but four for sure, I think, for yeah. Kansas. Well, I'm apparently John Kirby said on Big 12 Radio yesterday that Kansas is going to be 6-0 and heading into Oklahoma, I believe, is the game that they have there. So I, are we sure about that? Or, you know, we? <laughs> that sounds a little um, optimistic, but <laughs> – <laughs> uh, I, I hear. I hear is one that's interesting. Missouri could beat Auburn. Auburn could be a disaster. They, they could. No, you're right. Absolutely. That it, it, uh, Auburn, Auburn is, is a disaster. disaster. Yeah, they are a disaster. They nearly lost San Jose State. So you're yeah, right. So. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna look. I'm gonna take Missouri to win more than Kansas. 
You need them to beat Auburn or South Carolina, though, I think. And I think that I think they will. There you go, Tucker. I'm I'm with you. I do not think Missouri will play as poorly as they played in Manhattan the rest of the season. Uh, I'll I'll go push though because I don't know. Kansas looks pretty good. (laughs) That wasn't the question. It was this or that. I didn't get to push. All right, I'll go Kansas. I'll say five five v four. I'll go Kansas. Uh, the guy that told us to pump the brakes on Lance Leipold. Now you're right. Is, no, you're right. But I've been. I'm. I'm but I'm but this past week, he no longer was crow. pumping the brakes. This is me eating crow on that. Like they I, can score. They can't. Still, that can't offense play. looks really good. Would you, Cole? Would you rather have Adrian Martinez or Jalen Daniels this year? Adrian. <laughs> I still yeah. think Adrian this year. That's. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't put, don't how dare you put me in a spot like that um, here's what i will say kansas has a legitimate offense but they still can't defend anybody the defense is bad the defense is bad correct uh okay if we we basically already answered this are we taking matt campbell here if you're nebraska would you rather have campbell climbing or leipold you'd rather have campbell i think if i was them i'd go campbell just because of age really at this point that would be the descent the 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 tiebreaker for me but in general i like mark stoops more if i'm nebraska yeah yeah i'd i'd echo that i'd like stoops but i think campbell just because of the age factor and that he would more longevity i would agree with that okay well here's here's the the better k-state spin on it who would you rather take the job leipold or campbell leipold i agree yeah, I, I think I think Leipold too, and and Dy. I think you because you need about to, it. you need to have a hold on your own state. That's more Correct. right. Yeah. Like you're you're crossing over a lot with Iowa State and recruiting, but yeah, for year. I mean, it's been what, like two decades now that you've had no competition in state recruiting because not only has Kansas been dreadful, but they just haven't even really tried. Like they've had all these guys in here that you know, Les Miles thought he was going to go bring in Jamar Chase times ten out of Louisiana and not mess around with Kansas. K-State has just had a field day with those kids. And so if Leipold continues to do this, it, it will make life much more difficult on that front, I would think. Yeah, and Kansas fans are probably loving this because they're like, oh, see, they're scared about Leipold. I'm, I'm scared it's probably not the right word, but I certainly respect their coach. He's a good coach. Yeah, that's that's it. Like, it's a it's a respect. And, and there is a – there's a limited amount of resources around here. Even though Kansas is producing more Division One prospects now, it seems like than in the past, it's still a scarcity of resources. And you, yeah, I mean, K State is a clear, clearly a much more established program right now. You see how long it took Climbing to get a hold in state. Like Kansas is probably still two, three, four years away from that. Um, and then hopefully Avery Johnson's taken off, and you're still, you know, the, the better team in the state when that happens. But I, I digress. Yeah, obviously it's something we have to pay attention to, and there has been respect gained through two weeks of the season, no doubt. Uh, true or false? BYU legitimate playoff threat. I lost Cincinnati last year. Final, final quick hitter here. Yeah, we kind of talked about this off the air. They have the schedule to do it because you, if if they were to go through and be unscathed, you're talking about wins over what Arkansas, Notre Dame, Oregon. And they already beat Baylor, so that that even on perception alone, they have the schedule to do it. I don't think that they win all of those, though. Yeah, I, th- I think they have to go undefeated because, especially because Notre Dame, you know, now not looking as shiny of a victory. I think that'll probably not be as, as glamorous of a win for them. So I, I think they'd have to go unbeaten, and I don't, I don't think they will. I think actually that, they'll lose to Oregon this week. I think. Yeah, I think they'll slip up to Oregon this weekend, and that'll put an end to that. And um, as a quick update, uh, Pat Forty has tweeted me back. 
and said the last time he was in Manhattan was 2012, he believes. So, hey, 10 years. Not like anything's changed at... Uh, Nothing has changed in 10 years, Pat. Nothing. $200 million more in facility enhancements and, uh, you know, yeah, whatever. <sighs> yeah. That's, uh, that's it. Well, extend the invitation. Tell him, tell him that there's been... Isn't it three hundred million dollars in this land? I'll invite him to the three mile tailgate uh, to come on by for what? What's he probably like? Bush light since he's a Missouri fan. Um, so well, I don't know. He sent a kid to Stanford. He's I would think like you know so you're Ooh, wine. Oh yeah, wine, wine. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're really well, why don't you tweet him? Tweet him back and tell him how much money's been put into it, and it, just extend an invite to the podcast. I don't, I don't know if he'll come since I just called him adult, but. I can. He's not going to listen to this one. You're giving me. yourself too no good. No one will tell him. You know what, guys? If we if we if we get Pat Forty lined up, just nobody tell him. I'm nobody worried the cyclone. I'm worried the cyclone fanatic guys will tip him off that we called him adult and tweet him that. Okay. I like the. Uh, this is the most fun I've had doing this podcast so far. You, John, I like I, I, look, this podcast. Is, I told Tucker we were going to go like 20 minutes because we had the recorded audio, and this is going to be our longest podcast we've ever done. Well, Cole, Let my block of the week, boys. Lead pipe lock of the week. Here we go. <laughs> Back on track. Lead pipe lock of the week. Uh, I believe Derek is the only one that's 2-0, and o, correct? Cole I and I are both 1-1. One one. Uh, congratulations to DY on that. Uh, I, by the way, I we all, as I said last time, we all projected that the under would hit in K-State-Mizzou, and it sure did. So I got my uh, lead pipe lock of the week. What was yours, DY? Tennessee, and it was another, like, shaky cover because it went greasy. into overtime. Pretty greasy. And Cole, you lost on what? I had the under in the K State game too. That is not correct. You lost no. on what? <laughs> I I had Iowa minus three and a half. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, speak of the devil, my lead by block of the week. I Nevada is a 23 point underdog at Iowa this week. Now, Iowa has scored a grand total of 14 points through two weeks with one offensive touchdown that was set up by a blocked punt. Spencer Petras is starting this week. I saw that. Again, they are not changing quarterbacks. Brian Ferentz, despite the trolling on Cameo, it still appears to be Iowa's offensive coordinator. How are they scoring 23 points? And, and then Nevada gets the opportunity to score a little bit there, too. I, Nevada what? is historically bad this year, I will say. I just... Okay. It seemed like a lot of points with the Iowa offense. I realize that their defense is good, and this is probably like a sucker bet that to, to bring in. I think in. it's a sucker bet. I think you're going to get had yeah. here. Yeah, well, well, I don't care. I don't care. Iowa is so bad that I'm I'm just throwing it all in here. I'm gonna I'm gonna take Nevada plus 23 lock of the week. Cole, you want to go? I'll take the over in the uh, KU Houston game, which is set at 57 and a half, uh, which has dropped a little bit. I think there might be yeah. rain in the forecast, but uh, mm-hmm. I'll still take the over. For me, I got Notre Dame going to bounce back week. Marcus Freeman, they're playing Cal. If, if it wasn't for losing three games in a row, which I know you got to take that into consideration, don't get me wrong, this this line would have probably been closer to 30, I would have imagined. It's 10. I like Notre Dame minus 10 against Cal. Cal's who's, bad. Who's, who's playing quarterback, though? Is Rudy lining up at quarterback? Drew pa- I mean, they have a, like a five-star quarterback that's playing now. Maybe Buckner was just a bad idea. Marcus Freeman, boy. Maybe, maybe you know, maybe he's still. Hey, I'm channeling. Hey, 
Go Notre Dame this week. Little, little, little more coaching. Little less uh, recreating scenes from The Hangover. The Fighting Joe Oddings. Let's yeah. go. Uh, yeah, that's that's one way to frame what Notre Dame is. Uh, <laughs> prediction time. Prediction time. Uh, I'm going to say 33-17 cats. 33-17 cats. I got 31-13. I'll take uh, K-State 34-Tulane 14. It's okay. all about the same. Yep. Yeah, we're all in the same sort of ballpark. Uh, and and pretty close there to what the over-under is. I think I was seeing like uh, – was I seeing like 46, 47 for the over-under, uh, depending on where you look. So, like, I'm at 50. We're all kind of in that ballpark. So You just got to watch for the back door, late playing TD cover, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who, because who would ever try and tack on cheap points late in a game? Uh, specifically, Gosh. specifically using timeouts <laughs> to do – I just – I don't think anybody would ever do that, D.Y., so I don't think we really need to worry. Willie Fritz is a man of principle and respect. There's probably the same guy that I think called his fans losers, essentially. <laughs> All right, this has been a completely unhinged episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did because this is my favorite episode of the podcast that we've done. Um, so until next time, enjoy the game on Saturday, and we'll talk to you hopefully about a top 25 matchup coming up with the Oklahoma Sooners next uh, on Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.